This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of the Sentinel Fort in Pistown, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. I'm feeling super, feeling real super today on Super Tuesday. Gotta say, a week ago, I was looking forward to today a lot more than I am today. It's looking pretty grim, folks. Uh, You may have been, like me, checking Predict It to see what uh, uh, predictive markets are trying to say about Super Tuesday. It's not looking good. Bernie is now... There's a sell-off. Yeah, there's there's been a sell-off. Bernie's now in second. Biden is the odds-on favorite. Uh, you still would be making money on Bernie if you bought it at 12 cents when we urged you to. So I don't feel too bad about that on a personal level. But I do feel bad because it is sort of looking like everyone is just going to line up behind Biden. That doesn't mean Biden's going to win. It just means this is going to be harder than we anticipated it would be a week ago. You could look at Bernie's price falling on predicted and consider it a time to buy. Yeah. I think there are a lot of unknowns here. How many of the Buttigieg Klobuchar supporters are actually going to go to Biden? How many of the Warren supporters now are reacting to the moves to get everyone behind Biden and saying, oh shit, it's time to get behind the viable left-wing candidate here, Bernie Sanders. We're seeing some of that. We're seeing anecdotally on Twitter, we're seeing uh, Buttigieg supporters say they would rather have Bernie over Biden. One of them citing uh, when Biden said he was totally unsympathetic to the plight of millennials. Yeah. So... Yeah, I don't want to get too pessimistic here. This just, all this did, all what... Monday did, and it was the best day of Joe Biden's campaign, is it ensured that this race is going to go on a lot longer and that Bernie's not going to be able to lock this up tonight? (laughs) So that's fine. I like Bernie's chances over the long haul against Joe Biden. I already said that. I like his chances. Let's do it. Let's get going here. We saw a poll today, a head-to-head poll that had Bernie 54, Biden 46, I believe, going to crush the Biden dads. We got to we got to crush the Biden dads. It is possible. It is possible. I think if even if Biden and Bernie end up tonight with an equal number of delegates that things are still it's still doable for Bernie. It's still very much doable for Bernie and the more he goes on the attack against Biden in the media in the few weeks in the weeks or so leading up to the next debate on March 15th that will you will see the polls move. You will see Biden get flustered. You will see him do things like why 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 why. <laughs> You'll see him just his brain will turn into soft margarine. I yeah. mean <laughs> or rather it will be exposed for the soft margarine that it is. Bernie still has a shot. We can't let he this He still has he, the advantage on the ground. He still has the movement behind him. He can still do this. I know We have to start thinking a bit in a different frame here of how he wins a contested convention. But 
I still think he can do this. I still think he can have the delegate lead. I still think he can take it to the convention. And I think that with a million people on the streets of Milwaukee, they're not going to take it away from him. Yeah, but we'll see. That's right. We'll see. And if they do, we we'll get see. to burn the party down. Either way, <laughs> either way, it's going to be a win, folks. Let's not get too discouraged. What are the when are the polls closing tonight, Sam? We got Vermont and Virginia first at seven o'clock Eastern. Uh, probably, uh, probably a split there. Probably a split. It's not looking great for Bernie in Virginia. Uh, it's looking slightly better for him in North Carolina, which closes at 730, although there was a poll that uh, released today that showed Biden running away with it in North Carolina. Let's hope that it is an anomaly. Then at 8 o'clock, we have Alabama, Maine, Massachusetts, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas. Texas is the first big one of the night. Yeah, Biden, Massachusetts will be interesting, Massachusetts too. will definitely be interesting. We might see a surprise in Oklahoma. I think Bernie will uh, take Maine. I think Biden will take Alabama and probably Tennessee, too. Then we have Alaska at 830. I have no idea what's going on in Alaska. I feel like that, that's got to be a Bernie state, right? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> then we have Colorado and Minnesota, which are big for Bernie at 9 o'clock Eastern. Alaska is at 830, uh, which is weird that Alaska is at 830 because it's way further to the west than uh, Colorado and Minnesota. But nevertheless, Colorado and Minnesota close half an hour later at 9, and certain counties in Texas also close at 9 in the western part of the state around El Paso, Utah at 10 o'clock. I think that's a fucking toss up. I saw one poll going for Bernie. I think no one really knows how it's going to end up. It might even go for Bloomberg, uh, which would be very <laughs> depressing indeed. Uh, and then the big kahuna, California, 11 p.m. Eastern time. And if, if Bernie's winning in California, we probably won't get the results there for two weeks. That's right. <laughs> that's how this will go. We, let's not get too discouraged either by the uh, predicted market collapse of Bernie Sanders. We know that James Carville, the human-skinned muskrat, the walking political dumbass, admitted on MSNBC that predicted is one of his vices. I'm sure he throws a lot of money around in those markets, uh, artificially inflating Joe Biden's chances on there. So lots of stupid money in predicted. Smart people know Bernie's still, still the man, candidate. still a strong he's candidate. A strong, he's say. a very strong candidate. All he's right. a very strong candidate. All right. It's Tuesday, March 3rd, Super Tuesday, 2020. Here's the news. The Federal Reserve cut interest rates today in an emergency reaction to the spread of the coronavirus. After an unscheduled meeting, Fed governors announced they would lower the so-called federal funds rate by half a percentage point. There hasn't been a rate cut of more than a quarter point since December 2008 during some of the darkest days of the Great Recession. In a statement released this morning, the Fed said, quote, the fundamentals of the U.S. economy remain strong. However, the coronavirus poses evolving risks to economic activity, end of quote. Investors reacted to the news by going on a spending spree. In the five minutes after the Fed's announcement, the Dow Jones shot up 559 points, a 2.1% increase. But investors also seem to realize that Fed cuts ultimately won't do shit to stop the coronavirus. Lower interest rates won't stop your infection. It doesn't mean you can skip work if there's an outbreak in your neighborhood. It doesn't mean you can suddenly afford to see a doctor. It just makes it cheaper to borrow money, mostly for big banks, and evidently not enough to help the market out. About an hour after the Fed statement, the Dow dropped 462 points, wiping out most of the gains from the cut rally. And those gains were wiped out further by 
100-point plunges later on in the early afternoon. Republicans needn't fear about being held to account this November for their total mismanagement of the economy and coronavirus. Democrats stand ready to help President Trump get reelected. Here was House Ways and Means Committee Chair Richard Neal in an exchange today with Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. What would stimulate the economy is a strong infrastructure topic that you and I, again, have had several meaningful conversations on. We have presented on our side a bold infrastructure package, and the committee has held two hearings on this topic. We've tried to work together successfully after passing USMCA in a bipartisan manner, and I hope that we can continue to work together on this package this year. We're hoping that the president's leadership in finding appropriate offsets will help us with that endeavor. Could you give us an update on the administration's thinking as it relates to infrastructure? Mr. Chairman, thank you again. And uh, I, too, have very much appreciated the multiple meetings and telephone calls that the two of us have had. Uh, We look forward to working with you and the committee on this. You know this is a priority of the president. And uh, I I appreciate your comments earlier, particularly if there's a need to stimulate the economy as a result of the coronavirus. uh, I am sure that infrastructure is a priority for the president. In other words, the same Democrats who scream about Bernie being dangerous because we need to defeat Trump are trying to give Trump an infrastructure week in a fucking election year. Never ends. On the campaign stump, Elizabeth Warren has repeatedly touted the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau as one of her signature achievements, proof that she gets things done. Well, that agency is on the verge of being dismantled by the right-wing Supreme Court. The judicial body heard oral arguments on Tuesday in a case alleging that the CFPB is unconstitutional and therefore can't enforce any regulations. The case was brought by a California law firm, CELA Law, which is being investigated by the CFPB for breaking telemarketing sales rules. CFPB demanded records from the law firm. CELA refused. The CFPB sued, and CELA Law argued that it doesn't have to respond to the CFPB because the CFPB is unconstitutional. And the reason why it's unconstitutional is because its director can't be fired by the president without just cause. Now, if that sounds like a technicality that a shady law firm is clinging to to avoid paying fines, you're absolutely correct, and every court that has heard the case has agreed and ruled in favor of the CFPB, but CELA Law appealed it all the way up to the Supreme Court, which took the case. And since the Trump administration also agrees that the CFPB is unconstitutional, the U.S. Solicitor General won't defend the agency in court, The Supreme Court had to appoint a former Solicitor General, a conservative, Paul Clement, to defend the agency. In arguments today, Clement said the structure of the CFPB is irrelevant to the case, which is fundamentally about, quote, an effort by the CFPB to enforce a garden-variety civil investigative demand. Clement also argued that the legislative branch does have substantial discretion to structure the executive branch that includes creating independent agencies structured with a director free from presidential influence. It's clear that at least one judge is ready to gut the CFPB. In 2018, Brett Kavanaugh was the lone dissent on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit in a similar case which upheld the constitutionality of the CFPB, Kavanaugh argued the agency's structure was unconstitutional. Susan Collins praised him for that ruling and that floor speech she gave where everyone was waiting with bated breath to see which way she would go. Mm. 
Well, now he's going to deliver when it counts here. A ruling against the CFPB could lead to the invalidation of a number of regulations passed in the nearly decade-long existence of the agency. It could also vastly expand the powers of the president to meddle in the affairs of other independent agencies like the Federal Trade Commission. There were more insights today into the federal prison system from the watchdog overseeing it. The Bureau of Prisons Inspector General released a memo urging the agency to improve food quality control for inmates. The memo noted several Justice Department investigations into BOP food vendors in recent years, including one that led to three and a half years in prison for the manager of a contracting firm for selling, quote, one million dollars of adulterated meat, including whole cow hearts labeled as ground beef to 32 BOP institutions. The IG additionally noted that it has, quote, learned of instances where BOP food vendors attempted to ship food products to BOP institutions after the products had been rejected by other BOP institutions. The memo made several recommendations to BOP. One, to develop a quality assurance plan applicable to all its institutions. Two, to enforce existing rules on contractor oversight through two centralized databases. And three, to enforce other existing rules, making procurement officers consult with these databases before buying things like cow hearts packaged as ground beef that went to 31 other BOP facilities. The IG gave Bureau of Prisons officials 60 days to respond to its memo. Check Sentinel Radio from two weeks ago, February 20th, for a story on another IG report about the Bureau of Prisons failing to deal with the spread of hepatitis C in federal institutions. Finally today, we know how much air travel sucks these days. Well, it's far worse for the disabled. A new Government Accountability Office report examined airline consumer protections and found rapidly increasing complaints against U.S. airlines from disabled passengers. The oversight agency also found increasing cases of discrimination in air travel. Airliners are required under law to report the number of disability complaints they receive per year. In 2010, there were over 19,300 disability complaints lodged with airline companies. In 2017, the latest year for which data is available, that number had grown to 29,662. That's a 50% increase. The most common complaints, according to GAO, were related to airline staff not providing assistance, also seating accommodation issues, and service animal issues. Federal law prohibits airliners from discriminating against people with disabilities. They are also required to provide assistance and accommodations to individuals with disabilities. However, there are exceptions. For example, airplanes that only have one aisle are not required to have wheelchair-accessible bathrooms. As a result, only about 4.5% of the eight largest U.S. airline fleets with single aisles are designed to accommodate onboard wheelchairs. The same GAO report also found increasing cases of discrimination. Between 2015 and 2019, the total number of discrimination complaints filed with the Department of Transportation against airline companies increased from 54 to 96. Unlike with disability complaints, airlines are not required to report the total number of discrimination complaints they receive, so the number is likely a lot higher. I will conclude this story about airplanes the way I've concluded ones in the past. We need a public takeover of the airline industry. Yes, we also need to 
strip the airline industry of assets and use these to, to build up our railroad infrastructure. We also need to just outlaw domestic air travel and build a bunch of high-speed trains everywhere. Mm. Indeed. All right, that music means the newscast is over. Time to read some poetry. All new subscribers to our Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel get their own haiku written for them and read on the air. This one is for Aaron. 20 years from now, Warren emerges from woods, still running for prez. The North Pond uh, candidate, I guess. Thank you, Aaron. This is for Jameson. Revolution bad, poor people dying is good, Biden judge. <laughs> Thank you, Jameson. Thanks to all the new subscribers on Patreon. We got more haiku on the next newscast. We'll be back tomorrow with a brand new one. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.